Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today my guest is Jake Summers. At an early age, Jake studied under Dom Famularo and John Favicia. He later attended the University of the Arts in Philadelphia as a music performance major. And then in 2014, he made his way from his hometown in New York to Nashville, Tennessee. Jake started drumming in the honky-tonk scene on Broadway in downtown Nashville, but shortly thereafter met singer-songwriter Luke Combs. Jake became Luke's full-time touring drummer in 2015, and over the course of Jake's time touring with Luke, Jake has made appearances on Saturday Night Live, The Today Show, and The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. No matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. I hope that your takeaway from my conversation with Jake Summers is that he brought with him to Nashville a work ethic that has worked really well. He was not waiting for anyone to hand him a gig when he moved down here to this new town. He got right into it to expose himself to as many different singer-songwriters, other players, to hear him play, get to know him as a great musician and and a committed individual. I think all credit goes to him to why he has the Luke Combs gig. I posed the question, what would he do if the Luke Combs gig went away? And I I think he'd be okay, honestly. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jake Summers. Tell me about recording. Uh, we were talking a little bit about that. Have you done any tracking at home yet? I have, not with this new room, though. Yeah. Um, I did some, actually I did a decent amount during the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was asked to play on a good buddy of mine's EP, mm-hmm. and it was with a producer by the name of Daniel Dennis. Cool. And... So I've been doing stuff with him. I just tracked the um, new Adam Warner EP. Yeah, I know Adam. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. did that. That was a lot of fun. And um, maybe he'll do some more songs. And then I got a few more things in the works with the producer um, if we can, if schedules work out. Yeah. But That's other cool. than that, I'm trying to do the Air Geeks thing from home like you're yeah. doing. You know, it's... Uh, um. I haven't signed up for it yet. Yeah. 
but I'm hoping once I do. We've been fortunate enough to partner with Air Gigs in the past and talk to the CEO at length to kind of get some strategies. And for our Patreon members, all that stuff is like condensed into like a 35-minute conversation like this seven parts he goes through. And I made some of those changes. And I hadn't had any clients on Air Gigs in probably three years, three or four years, and then all of a sudden I got more work. I'll have to pick your brain about that once I yes. get so, all going. It wasn't a lot, but it was more than zero. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And then it's like once you do a good job for those clients, they're then hopefully repeatable. It, well, and that is the key. Uh, I've had uh, one of them come back to me, and that's when you build that rapport. Um, but I find a lot of it is through friends and word of mouth. Just And, and it's interesting because Zach Albetta, my co-host, talks about seeing the session world, home studio in particular, in the same way that we built our live gig uh, network. Yeah. You know, through word of mouth, friend, you do a job for them. They, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I, um, during the beginning of the pandemic, I have two buddies of mine. Mm. And we, we've all played downtown together here and there. And uh, we all want to do session work. So we decided to kind of form a trio, like Rich yeah. and those guys. Mm-hmm. So it's like whenever someone reaches out to either myself or either of them yeah. for recording, we just tell them, this is the trio we have. Mm-hmm. We work together a lot. Yeah, We'll do a great job. We're not going to play anything that is, I don't want to say down the pipe, but we're always going to be as creative as possible with what the song needs for it. Right. And, um, yeah, that's been working out well. We've that's done good. a decent amount. So, Just by sheer numbers, when you get that group together, the producer that I'm working with is as a result of me being part of a guitar and bass player combination. It's so, great. It yeah. really works out well. And then I'm also trying to do um, our bass player for Luke, um, him and I, are on that same wavelength of doing that type of stuff too. So we're, we want to get that going as well. Yeah, so I'm yeah. trying to have my trio thing, doing stuff with them, mm-hmm. and then doing stuff with um, our bass player. Because if people say, hey, I want the Luke Combs rhythm section on a track, yep. cool. Yep. This is what we do day in and day out. Yeah, yeah. So there's an interesting thing that, uh, that uh, Jeff Brown mentioned when, when I ran into him at the Music City Drum Show. We were talking about this, and he said, I'm sending stems to the client. But what I'll also do is I'll send them a mix of the drums with the track, the guide vocal or guide part, whatever. And then I'll send them a mix of just the drum performance with all the drums mixed together to let them know. So we talked about this. You're using, what, anywhere between like 8 to 12 microphones on your whole drum set. And he goes, I'll send that alone and say, here's what I'm envisioning the drum mix to be for your song. Now, he's not sending them a mixed drum track for them just to stick in their DAW and use. But I was like, I love that. That's really smart. It's really smart because it represents your vision of the. Now you send them the stems, they can do whatever they want. But there's, I, where that came from is I was bitching about <laughs> tracks that people said, hey, we've, we've, we've mixed and mastered that song you played on months ago. Check it out. And they'll send it to me. And, and, and like the shaker was really loud 
and I can't hear the toms, and and I'm like, oh my god, like this sounds awful. <laughs> and it's and I'm like, I don't You're like. Are you sure it's me? Yeah, I don't want to share. You're like, let can we? So this vision. You know, there's only so much you can do. And Eddie Bears said, look, when you track, it's not yours anymore. It's theirs to do what they want. I respect that work. That is true. And But Jeff, not in a passive-aggressive way, but Jeff in a way said, hey, here's all the stems for you to use. But also, if you want to kind of know what, I don't know how he words it, but what my vision of the drum mix and is... Uh, here's what I've done. And I'm like, Jeff, you're awesome. <laughs> That's, That's so smart. Crazy. I mean, and then the client can be like, oh, I really like what you're doing more than yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. Because you mean it's non-drummers that are mostly hiring us and like you oh, do 100%. your thing and like, hey, what's that thing? And they don't know. And we take it for granted that everyone knows what the drummer's role is when composing parts for songs. You don't, they don't. It's like when you hear a drum machine or a you know a loop being put together by a non-drummer, you're like, yeah, obviously they don't get that, you know, unless it's intentional that the hi hat's going on during a drum fill. Yes. But if they want it to be sound like a real drummer, they're gonna know certain things how how this this instrument works, you know, as a whole. But I want to move on because we got a lot to talk about, and I wanna I wanna get into your transition. From now, did you when you're originally from Long Island, Long Island? Yes, correct. Okay, and you went to Philadelphia School of the Arts. Yes, University of the Arts. University of the Arts. Okay, in Philly. Yeah. Okay. Did you go from there to Nashville? So oh. I went from there. Went home for like a few months just to see if there was anything on like Craigslist. Yeah. There was nothing there, and then I decided to move here August sixth of twenty thirteen. Wow. Okay. And the first drummer I met was Cody Lepo, if you know who that is. I don't know who that is. Great guy, plays drums for Jamie Don- Jamie Johnson. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, via an alumni from my college, she had invited me to a party on Music Row. This is my second day in town. Mm-hmm. That night I met Cody at the party. He told me to come sit in downtown. Did that. A very inebriated bass player walked in. While I was playing, luck of the draw, thought it was my gig, and he said, "We're our drummer is leaving tomorrow. Would you like to come audition?" I did. An hour later, I got the call. I got the I got the gig playing downtown, and I started the middle of my second week. Yeah, which is I think pretty unheard of. Maybe now it's different. I didn't know that. The no, it's quick. Circuit it doesn't matter the, when it was. That's quick. That's yeah, great. I thought yeah. it was very quick. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's more to it than that, because I, I you're the arc of your narrative from deciding on Nashville and moving here and getting this all leads into this is covering two things that I wanted to cover. First of all, how you got the Luke Combs gig. And second of all, your mindset for when you moved down here and what was what was thought out in the way you interacted with people, the way you put yourself out there and what happened naturally? Um, so for me, it was either go to Nashville, stay in New York or go to LA. Yeah. And those two places are much more expensive 
And I thought the networking was be a lot harder there. So mm-hmm. I chose Nashville. It's Music City. Yeah. And um, I guess I'm just a very friendly people person. Have and you always been that way? I mean, Yeah, I, I've always been that way. I've never... I don't think I've never really had a bad bone in my body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But I knew, like, from when I was 15 years old, I wanted to do music full-time professionally. And I knew I had to go to school for it. I knew after that, okay, what's the next step? So I came to visit Nashville my senior year of college. Absolutely fell in love with it. Okay. I knew I had to be here. Moved here. And then uh, once I was doing the Broadway thing, just meeting whoever I could downtown who was playing – and shaking hands and all this stuff. They'd come see me play. I, You know, you get to the gig a little early and watch the other person play and whatnot. And um, from me coming to visit, I met a guy who him and I had gotten coffee when I got here. And we connected that way. He was playing with this group that uh, called the Mulch Brothers that um, I played with prior to Luke for about six, seven months. So I was doing the downtown thing for about five months. And then this guy I know, Craig Eck, called me and said, I'm leaving this gig. I think it would be a great foot in the door touring for you. Oh, cool. So he said, would you want to do it? I said, sure. So I auditioned, got that gig. This is the Mulch Brothers. The Mulch Brothers. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. And then did that for about six, seven months. Mm -hmm. It's a great foot in the door. Yeah. Going all over the country in a trailer and a van and all that stuff. Yeah. Great guys. Um, still close to one of them today. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I guess to the big, bigger topic, how I got the Luke gig. Everybody likes to know that story. Yeah, yeah. So sure. um, I took a few lessons with Jim Riley. Yeah. And I told him how I was – how I wanted to leave the Mulch Brothers because they're great guys, but I wanted to play with people more my age because mm. they are older than me. Um, and – so he said, go to Riders Rounds. And I ended up going to Tin Roof Revival on a Tuesday night. Yeah. I didn't know anybody there. I walked in, same thing, walk of the draw. I walked in. Um, I didn't know who Luke was. It was so crowded. I didn't even know what he looked like. Is this like 2014? This was, yeah, 2004, November 2014. Uh-huh. Um, I walked in. I heard him play his last song, which was, I believe, She Got the Best of Me. Okay. And then I just went up and talked to him afterwards. I thought he, was, I said, you know, man, I thought I think you're really great. I love your voice. I, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed your song. He asked me what I did, and then uh, he said, I have a gig next week. I need a drummer. Would you like to play? I nice. said, I'd love to. You know, please send me your material. Yeah. I did my homework. We did an audition slash rehearsal, maybe a few days prior, and I was the first one to the audition. Probably thirty minutes early with all my gear set up, ready to go. So I know this story, but I find it interesting that like he's like, I need a drummer, but 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 in between that time and the gig, mm-hmm. they were auditioning drummers. So he's like, I need I, a. Dr- I don't know if they were really auditioning. So, but you were you the only one there? I was the only one there. So the word the rehe- audition for the rehearsal. For me, I like to call it audition. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. For sure, like it was almost like a trial run. Yeah, it was a trial run. So for me, I like to call it an audition for myself. I understand for him slash rehearsal. Yep. So I was there thirty minutes prior with all my gear set up, ready to go. We did the rehearsal, nailed it. 
did the gig. We played the University of Alabama frat house. I was the only person on the stage without a monitor. I'm like, awesome. First gig. I got to really use my ears now. Yeah. Had a blast. Did a great job with that. And then um, him and I just hung out once a week for the next some odd months. And then he called me and said, I want you to be my guy. Yeah. You know, when gigs started coming up. and Do you so, know where he was at in his career? Uh, he had no deals. He was just writing. Yeah. Um, he was popular via YouTube, Vine, okay. and that and that type of stuff. Yeah. And he had a few EPs out. And okay. people people, you know, knew who he was and um Were you guys doing covers on these gigs? Yeah, yeah, we were doing some covers like Old Dominion, Sam Hunt, mm-hmm. um Brooks and Dunn, maybe. We do a Brooks and Dunn <laughs> now because he's because, in yeah. the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um which is a, a a fun one to do. But yeah, we were doing covers and it was you know, some Randy Hauser and all that stuff, but it was it was still a good mix of originals and covers. Nice. Until we can actually do, I think it was like 20, 2016, we're able to do majority yeah, originals and yeah. a few covers for fun. And then as yeah, time goes on, just all originals and maybe one cover. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so we hung out once a week and then he asked me if I wanted to do this full time and I said yeah I took a chance on him he took a chance on me and it's been six years I've never missed a gig that's awesome that's awesome I, I, a couple of things just to kind of take away from that I love that you I mean what, what a great what, what great advice from Jim to you know go to these singer songwriter things because we like to be recognized for what we can do, what our work, and all this stuff amongst our peers, drummer to drummer. But you know, to think about who's going to hire you, you know, it's going to be other people. It's going to be songwriters or artists. And and prior to that, I was um, there used to be a bar on Demumbrian called South, and I was like kind of their house cajon player every Tuesday night. So I would play, yeah, two songs a piece with maybe about twelve artists a night. One was an original, one was a cover. I had no idea what anybody was doing. So I did that. And, you know, um, I met a lot of people that way, too. Yeah. And I, I'd go out to Whiskey Jam, you know, almost every Monday night just so people, you know, I can net, you got to network. You know, if yeah. you don't go out, if you don't put yourself out there, if people don't know who you are and they don't see you play, nothing's going to happen. Right, right. And I'm, I mean... I must have played Whiskey Jam so far in my eight years here 14 times. Mm-hmm. I was hanging out there one time, and this guy just said, hey, I know who you are. Um, can you go play with my friend real quick? Two like songs? right now. Right now. And I was like, <laughs> sure. I don't know the songs from Adam. <coughs> but he was like, oh, just follow along. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So I did that. And then she was like, yeah, thanks so much. I'm, uh, I'm moving to L.A. tomorrow. I'm like, cool, good luck. But, go. but yeah, it's just, you right, know, right. that's it. Just being there. Just being there. The other takeaway for me is that um, just my confusion was you called this an audition. And whether it, that word was thrown out there or not. So I only called an audition for myself. Exactly. Exactly. And it was really just a rehearsal. But yeah. I also thought, okay, I am auditioning. Yes. Whether regardless there's no other drummers auditioning, I'm still the one auditioning uh-huh. for this gig. Uh-huh. Of course. 
No, I love that. I love that. And 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 I th- people pick up on that, man. They know. And and you know, y- you can come in. You can kill it. You can do your homework, and that's all part of it. But man, there's just something about the the vibe that you put off when I I want this gig. I'm serious about it, mm-hmm. and everybody involved, from the artist to management to other players, are going, man, this guy. He's going to be reliable. So he had no manager back then either. Yeah. When all that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was only five of us in a van. Okay. Going from place to place, doing all these gigs. Then manager came on board and all that stuff and slowly climbed up. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been there almost since the beginning. Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Yep. Period. <laughs> Literally since the beginning period before – any number ones before booking deal, before label deal, yeah. before publishing deal, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, and and over this time, you've, I can imagine the things that you've learned about the industry. A lot. <laughs> anything you can take away? Anything you can tell us? Um, I would just one of the biggest things. Just be as. Um, as common as this might sound, just be gracious and be nice and humble to everybody around you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be business people within the industry. If you're playing a theater or a club or a bar, just be the people working in there. Just be you know nice to them, be humble, and have a good attitude. Yeah. Nobody wants to be around someone who has a bad attitude or a bad reputation mm-hmm. because then it's no fun. Yeah, yeah. And I would also say that just doing your part, you know, going to a bus call, whether it's in a van or it's in a bus or whatever, mm-hmm. be 30 minutes early. Yeah. One of the biggest things I learned in college was 30 minutes is on time. And if you're on time, you're late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're there on the hour, you're late. Mm-hmm. If you're there early, yeah, right. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. That stuff goes so far. And especially when you see people that aren't doing that or just dragging everything down, it's it's a pain in the butt. It just saps so much energy and vibe. And people in the organization, again, whether it's management, road managers, band members, artists themselves. It's exhausting. Yeah, they notice. And you don't yeah, want to be do that you don't want to be that bad egg. You want to just no. be like you want to do your part, you want to be a good hang and you want to lay low. And sometimes going out on the road and doing some of these live gigs, that's like the fun part of this this job. Oh, very much so. You know, and to be able like, to travel for a living and right. to be able to go over the country and hopefully the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if the artists are, I'm just started with this group and like all these, these, we're backing up three lead singers of bands that were in bands for decades. Who? The the front men of country. Okay. And, um, you know, these three guys were in bands for, one guy was in a band for like 35 years, another bands for, you know, multiple, but, but like they're so over the bullshit. Mm -hmm. They're so, and just if, just, just me being nice and I mean, beyond knowing the material, beyond playing, beyond performance, just being a good hang, uh, being there on time. They don't, they never have to worry about me with anything. 
And I think that's one of the most important things, aside from the playing and the hang, is if the artist or management or whoever doesn't have to worry about you and that you can be there and that you're solid with everything you do, yes, then you're golden. Everything. And they can have fun. Yes, like, they dude, can have fun. They don't have to worry. Exactly. Don't let. Don't have anybody worry. Well, let's talk about the gig itself. Like, what are your responsibilities? So my responsibility essentially is... Dude, I'm the drummer. <laughs> yeah, I'm the drummer. Come on. No. Um, question. Man. No, you know, I, I, I count a decent amount of the songs off. Um, I kind of make the transitions flow with the, going from one song to the next. Um, I'm the one who creates the click track in Ableton, all that stuff. I set everything up. You guys have some tracks you're running as well. We don't use any tracks. No tracks. Okay. We have a, including Luke, an eight-piece band. Nice. Okay. So when you say programming the click, what do you mean by that? Just what we hear in our ears, like the metronome. Gotcha. But so it, does like, each song have its own click and it's just beginning and stopping? Or is there... Each song has its own click that I have on loop mode. Yeah. And so like with Ableton, you have as many scenes as you want. Yeah. And I put our whole set list in there. And then I created specific sounds that we all enjoy that are not... Gotcha. That don't rub with the instrumentation. Yeah. So each song has something that's fun to play along with. Not yes. So it's like a shaker, either on quarter notes or eighth notes, and then on the two and four is like a wood block noise. Gotcha. So it kind of makes it fun. It's like a percussionist in your ear. Exactly. Exactly. So you're using Ableton for that, and each song has its own backing click percussion yes the vibe. sounds are always the same for each yeah, song gotcha gotcha but it, I, and you know at first i was like oh like, i don't really want to use ableton i was kind of nervous about it because i know it's a very in-depth program but once i got the hang of it for what we're using it for right it's easy now there's a lot more i can dive deep into yeah but yeah. we're not using it for that application right now and is the use of tracks the, the not using tracks very intentional Yes, he's gotcha. never wanted to use tracks, and I think we're all very grateful for that. Sure. He's always wanted to have everything be live as live can be, and if you hear somebody hit a bum note, it happens. We're human. Yeah. People make mistakes. You get docked $5, but otherwise it's human. Yeah, You're <laughs> you get docked $5 from your pay. <laughs> <laughs> he turns around and just point, gives you a five. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, no, I just find it interesting um, – you could, yeah, you could dive deeper into the Ableton thing, but at the same time, if you're not planning on using tracks, at least for this gig, then you know it's it 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 is what it is, and it's on a loop. So, if anything changes in the middle of the show, you're not dealing with a time constraint of when the click begins and when it ends. No, so like, yeah. I mean, there's songs where he starts it by doing um, there's like a vocal cue that he starts a song in. Mm -hmm. And there's times, you know, we're human once again, where if either a guitar player starts a song or he starts it, he might not come in on the right beat. So I can kill the click immediately and we just mm -hmm. go from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's happened a few times. That's okay. Yeah. No, I, it, it, I've been using uh, this app called Polynome. We actually had the, the creator on a few years ago, a, a British uh, a creative dude, great, great drummer. And um, it there's a ton of sounds in there. So I like to use the eighth note shaker and then a, something as a quarter note pulse. And then for stuff that's, that's you know, triplet based, I'll use just a quarter note 
type thing. But I'm choosing sounds that are percussive in nature, so it's fun. Now, I'm the only one that has the click. Really? Yeah. Because um, I'm working with multiple people. If I'm using a click, you know, nobody really... Sometimes people are using a wedge, or you know, it's not all in ears. On most in this new, okay. this newer group that I'm touring with, um, I'm the only one right now on ears. They're getting ready to move to ears. These guys are old school. But again, uh, the idea of using a click live is something I never did until I moved to Nashville 20 years ago. You know, and that that it's been interesting because it seemed like such a Nashville thing, but now. It seems like that's just, it's become more universal in just the pop world, whether it's country pop or, or pop itself. Oh, yeah. You know, more so than it was 20 years ago. I thought, well, this is really interesting. Kind of weird for, to use a click live. Why would you do that? Um, but it is not unique to Nashville. And it's a skill that I'm seeing young players like yourself grow up and probably study and practice along with. We never did that. Yeah. I mean, when I was in college, I played to a click. Just practice to a click relentlessly. Yeah, and we would practice to a click growing up as well, but, you, you know, like exercises and patterns and different things like that. But we were playing along with records and, you know. Where there was no click. <laughs> right, a lot I of I mean, I did, I did that when I was growing up too, just playing it along the all my favorite records. And I think doing that still helps solidify practicing time and feel. Feel, oh, Aside sure. from just, I'm going to practice this jazz pattern to a click and feel like a robot well and it's almost and it's 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 interesting because now it's gotten to the point where people are talking about well now i say now like within you know the last 10 years people are finding creative ways to use the somebody can correct me and say no no we've been doing this longer than that but you know how like if you're going to play along with a click like get comfortable with it by practicing with it on the upbeats. Like if I'm working on, say, syncopation or out of the John Riley jazz book and I'm working on comping, I'll maybe throw the click on, but I'll have it on two and four, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, or, or, you know, you're, you're like, okay, now the click is the uh, you know, or it's the up note of the triplet. And so figuring out how to, like, work around that or that or you play uh seven bars of click and then you program whatever it is you have for that eighth bar to be missing so those kinds of things has been has have evolved as the click is a part of a skill set yes very much so you know yeah i think i think if you haven't played along to a click very much or practiced to it you should yeah yeah but it's also nice and refreshing to play a song without the click and just let the music. Yeah, like, yeah. Mu- music should move a little bit here and there. It shouldn't be like dead on all the time. Yeah, I think. I think. No, it's I agree with you. Nice I, when it ebbs and flows. I've had this conversation on and off. It's it's been fun to use this this podcast as a vehicle for me to process my feelings. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through this time right now where I'd rather use a click than, you know, I'd say I feel more comfortable with a click than without it on, on, on a lot of songs. And that is weird, weird for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, um, but I that definitely... speaks volumes. I think that what I'm saying is it's like, okay, time to pump the brakes, spend some time practicing without the click. So it's funny. It's kind of come full 
it's it's a full swing. Now when I'm in the practice room, yeah, I'm using the like, a drum machine in there and I can do whatever, but I want to make sure that I'm working on stuff without the click and then go reference see okay i've worked on this pattern for three three and a half minutes where's my tempo at right now yeah or even like those kinds of things playing a song you're practicing to you play it one time with the click in your ears and then you play it again you could sort of say without the click in your without the click and then see how close you are like i was playing i sat in downtown a couple months ago and this drummer, I looked, he had his phone on the ground and he had the tempo um, flashing to see where he was at in the song. Yeah. And we did a Luke song. We did When It Rains, It Pours. And 129, 128. 128. <laughs> and <laughs> how do I know that? I played, we did that song and I was playing along and, uh, you know, I didn't have click in my ears, nothing. I just counted it off. And without he- hearing a click, I was. At one twenty seven like point eight. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I'm like, okay, well, I might not be at one twenty eight, but I'm close enough without yeah. hearing a click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, shows that it's like if you can get close enough without hearing a click and you know the song so in depthly mm-hmm. and the tempo, I think that's okay too. No the the audience might not know, oh, he's a hair. No, if it feels off. good, and and you know it's funny because I play that song with different bands, and one band plays it at one between one twenty nine and one thirty. I love playing that song to a click, but sometimes certain bands I play with they just start it because it's it's a cold start. Yep. You know, and so they'll just start it, and I'll jump in, and other bands will play it one twenty seven, one twenty eight, and I'm also using live BPM on a, on a f- extra iPhone that I have. And so that gives me, that's telling me how fast I'm playing, you know. So that's that's just more, that's a good reference. It can be a crutch. I'm not advocating for that or any of these things. What I'm saying is these are tools that help me as I'm jumping from one group to another or different things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I think I think those are good to have. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. totally no, it's really fine. Interesting. So, so when you're working on a song to, to, to learn, uh, I want to get into this later, but I just find it interesting. So, you, you know, you play the song you learn it you play it with a click maybe you play it just with a click and not the tracks then you play it with no click and no tracks and to see and that's like this methodology of learning and that sounds like a very jimmy paxson way of learning a song yeah you know i got to study with him in college and yes fortunately we didn't really get we didn't touch too much on that but that's his method yeah that's yeah that's a little overboard for me i personally like to play i chart out the part yeah i was gonna okay so tying into my next question about luke so while we're on luke Mm -hmm. that's great so um the the i i think we're we're on the same wavelength i am obsessed with learning the parts from the record almost same to a fault and um and and, unless someone says hey man you can embellish a little bit here and there yeah I've never been told that, so I've kind of always yeah. wanted to play it like the record because that's what people hear. It, it's true, and I've got buddies that work with some artists that will in, will say, do not learn the record. Now That's that, bizarre to me. It is bizarre to me, and it's not doesn't come up very often, but it has come up uh, in the past. I'm like, that's that would be weird um, for me. And uh, but no, I'm I'm curious to know. Like, so you were talking about you're learning working on a new song. So yes. what what you're charting, writing it out? 
So we haven't received the stems yet, but we received like a rough, really good rough of it. Mm-hmm. And the drums are pretty prominent in in the song enough to where I could hear everything going on. And I charted it out a few days ago, and I've been working on it. And when I get a song and I need to learn between it. Between your neighbors napping. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but when I get a song and I need to learn it, and this might be a little overboard, maybe not, but whenever I'm at the gym or in the car, I have the song playing. So yeah. this is even after I chart it so I can really – ingrain the parts in my head Mm -hmm. and then when i practice it i don't have to scan the chart as much yeah and then um but i I try to be very in-depth and do every little piece of my part in the song charting it out Mm -hmm. and uh i mean I, i do a whole skeleton chart like everybody else does in their own little ways um and then i'll sit down i'll listen to the song with headphones again to make sure I got everything right. And if I didn't, I'll make little edits and then I'll sit down and practice it. And I'll probably play it a few times, take a little break, come back, play it again, see what I remembered without looking at the chart. Yeah. 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 And then go back again and hit it a few more times. And, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of how I practice. I, I never, I really don't, play the song to a click till we actually get in the room and play the song okay so yeah and i just get so used to playing along to either the rough or if they do send us the finalized version Mm -hmm. i have the part so ingrained in my head by the time we play it that when i hear the click i'm like okay like i might make it in my ableton session at home so I could hear what it sounds like before everybody else. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. used to it because mm-hmm. we're the most important people with coming to keep time. And mm-hmm. so I might practice it once or twice that way. But pretty much I just play along to the song over and over again. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll practice along with just the click if, if it's just a – if it's a real kind of pockety groove – and maybe the tempo, because you know, it's I find it interesting that with certain patterns, certain grooves, and within a window of tempos, like okay, for example, just throwing this out there, a shuffle between one thirty and one thirty-five. For some reason, it's not as strong for me as at one forty. You know, so like say a song is that. So I want to find the click that I like and just, or maybe there's an intro that has uh, a drum fill that picks up. You know, I want to make sure I've got the counter right because that's another thing is is practicing not only the part and the song itself, but practicing counting the band in. Yes, a hundred percent. Where yeah, where that if there's a. If Your it girlfriend's comes going, who are you yelling feet? at down there? <laughs> oh, I don't think she, once that door is closed, I don't think she could actually no, hear I'm me, just, which I'm is just great. saying, because I've done that before, where I, I'll be, you know, getting ready for a show and going, running down a set, and I'm like, man, this song, the guitar comes in on the end of three, and the drums have to set that up, so let me make sure I've got this, I'm going two, three, four, one, or three, four, one, two, you know, how am I setting this up? So I'll make mm-hmm. sure I'm, I'm kind of role-playing or practicing that that thing so yep. I'm not caught off guard. I've done that. I mean, there are some songs where the drums start it and it's a pickup fill yeah. into the song and 
what we've been doing with some of those is I'll hit at like three hi-hat hits. And mm -hmm. then like there's a song called Must Never Met You. And mm. on the hi-hat, I go like, and then it comes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's how I set it up for everybody to know instead of just a cold. Yeah, yeah. You're so giving them kind of a vibe. I give them like the, a, the, the hey, tempo. here's a few beats and the tempo. Get your head. Get your head into this. Yeah. Instead of just, hey, yeah. we're going right into it. Okay, yeah. see ya. <laughs> yeah. Do you know uh, Pickup Man, Joe Diffie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that that's a thing. Now, the, I mean, the guitar starts on the downbeat. You can go one, two, three, four. But... but da -da 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 but well, I guess it's the the pickup on that on that uh, that four, but um, those dr that drum fill starts in on beat three, you know. But so that's one of, that's like an example of like a cover I've done where I'm like, ooh, I want to get that. That's not something you, I could just look at my chart and go, oh yeah. Or like, what about um, Tim McGraw's "I Like It, I Love It"? Oh, uh -uh. is that the end of three one two uh, three? three. Uh, I believe so. I we actually do this in our medley. Do you? And that's okay. the first song, and I count it. And it's like, like one, two, three, four, and I, I actually, I think, I think it comes on the e. The guitar part comes on the e of the one. One, two, three, four. And yes, yeah, man. So that's a, that's an interesting one too. It is an interesting because if you have no reference and somebody, because I've you know guys are throwing that song and they're just you know not even telling me what song it is or if they or if there's no count in for a say a cover gig where it's you know you're not it's the production isn't at the level of like a luke combs gig you know so it's like like whoa whoa where, where are we where, where's that at <laughs> yeah, where, where and you have to catch that but you know that's that's the gig you know and just kind of knowing some of those pickups and but Doing a gig in an arena with Luke, part of your job is knowing how to bring the band in. Oh yeah, totally. You know, I mean, you and no know. one's going to tell you how to do. It. They're not handing you tracks and you know a mix of here's how we want you to count this in. You have to you have to know that shit. Where did you? Oh where, yeah. I mean, how did you? How do you know how to do that? Like just based on your experience or. Um, we do a decent amount of rehearsals before tours. Yeah. And we kind of map, we mapped out a whole set pretty much a few weeks before the tour. Mm -hmm. And in rehearsal, we figured out, okay, well, th like this song, I'm not going to count in this song. I will like, what songs does it make sense for me to count in? And what songs can it be like a transition where some instrument starts it? And not me. Yeah, yeah. Or if yeah. I do start it, and how like do you the whole do it the most musical thing. Right. And, and if, how do you do it in the most musical way? And if now, does everybody have click? Yes. I don't think they have a... I'm not really sure how much of click everybody has in their ears. Yeah. But I think for the most part, they all have it to an extent, but it's really they follow me. So if there's songs that don't have any drums in the like the first half, are you just like counting them in and letting them go or are you um, keeping some time so like beautiful crazy for example mm -hmm. in the intro and then for part of the first verse there's no drums mm -hmm. so i have click just going yeah so they, they they do have click in their ears yeah it might not be as loud as i need it You're like dude i worked on this click you, you, need to listen. <laughs> you better have this yeah you go around you listen to everyone's but, ears <laughs> so luke actually starts that song 
Okay. So he is the click, and then uh, one of our other guys, they do like a kind of guitar transition as it starts, and then he'll come in with the pickup vocal and mm-hmm. all that stuff and start it out. And so it's just the, really just him and the other guy with the click, and then once then I come yeah. in a few bars after. Because that's like, again, right now, like with this group, the front men that I'm working with, I'm the only one with the click. And there's a couple of songs where, you know, I'm kind of trying to make it as musical as possible while I'm keeping time with these guys that are, you know, playing. But, and, you know, a little bit of hi hat. So uh, what I was going to ask you is yeah. since you're the only one with the click within this group, do you ever notice them wanting to push or pull? Yeah. Because again, I have now the backup band right now. Uh, they're looking to expand as as we move on. But this this again, it's a relatively new group, and they're ready to go right before the shutdown, and then the shutdown happens. So we're kind of picking back up steam again. So right now, the backing band is just bass, drums, and guitar. Three they, piece, wow. Three piece, but the three lead singers up front, they all play guitar, and one of them plays keyboards. Oh, nice. So they're covering more, but again. These are, you know, three amazing singers with incredible history, incredible stories and success, but they've their experience playing with other multiple scenarios is limited compared to us. Now, I don't have a Grammy. I haven't had multiple number one hits. Same. But same. <laughs> but I've played in more bands and more with multiple musicians more than any of those guys as as the other two members of the backing band. So it's really interesting to kind of, and the and the guys have been great, and it's they're always looking. They're like, "Well, you got more experience than I do." You know, they're really humble and really sweet, but they're my boss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so what they say goes. Exactly. So I'm like, there's one song where one of the guys is playing, singing and playing piano, and I'm just keeping time for him, and I'm hitting like the bell of the crash a little bit to kind of a little two and four to kind of create like a loop thing, and he's like, "Hey." That's just kind of harsh. Could you just do something on the hi-hat? Knowing that he, that's probably the only thing he has in his wedge is just the hi-hat. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Not, oh, man, I was trying to make it groovy for you. But, you know, yeah, oh, of course. But but, but not only that, but when he tells me that in sound check, to not forget that. Yeah, and, and you got to make it muscle memory. Yes. Like what we say is if we change something, we just say print it. Print it. Yes, exactly. Yep, it's in the brain. So you, you're also like, I'm hearing you. I'm knowing what you need. I got it locked in. I got it. I got it. You don't have to worry about thing. You know. And like, I think that was an example of something that happened recently. And we went to that song. I he started kind of rubato and told a story, and then and then I started to do this really light kind of click. And after two, he came in, and one of the other guys turns around to me and just gave me this smile like, "Fuck yeah, man!" I was like, <laughs> yeah, but but like just kind of reading the room and knowing. And you definitely have to do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm, I feel fortunate right now. I'm, I'm working with people that are less experienced than me. Sometimes I'm the old guy in the band. Sometimes I'm the young guy in the band. I'm just like at that age right now where sometimes they're all the same age. But you know, you know what I mean. Like it, it, it just depends, and, and the experience varies. And and uh, I mean, every gig to me is important. I want to. Oh sound yeah, it's great. all different. Yeah, but and you want to be your best, right? And and uh, so I don't take playing in a you know, downtown on Broadway any less seriously than a theater in, you know. Same here. I take it just as serious as the gig I'm on. Because if anything, man, just think of the things you learn and how you're 
kind of getting across your what you're doing on the drums with with interacting with people in a crappy bar with with bad monitors and then you're playing madison square garden you're like all i gotta worry about is having fun exactly and i was just funny enough reached out to last night by another you have played madison square garden right we have um, in 2018 on the Aldine tour. We were direct support, but we're yeah. actually doing two nights in a row on our tour. Both nights sold out. That's amazing. This year, November 29th and 30th. Yes, I don't want to imply that so, I have because I have not. But <laughs> it's but very you know, cool. Once you get cool. to, and I hope you get to. <laughs> me too, man. That's but awesome. uh, like, I think it was last night. I was a buddy of mine texted me who I played downtown with during the pandemic and stuff. And funny enough, his name is also Luke. So yeah. it just seems like I gravitate towards playing with Luke's, which. I'm fine with. For me, it's Jared's. It's huh. it's Jared's. I'm my my wife's like another Jared. I'm so <laughs> sick and tired of Jared's. But um, he was like, "Hey man, can you play?" I don't remember what the venue today from like two fifteen to six fifteen. I was like, "Unfortunately, I can't. I you know, I, I work related thing, but I appreciate the call. And if I was free, exactly. I would do it." That's cool. That's cool. I mean, and there, I think man, it's fun. There's a lot of cats that have really great artist gigs that still take Broadway gigs, and we did our Broadway roundtable, our natural, and that's 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 a whole different thing. And um, it's uh, so anybody that's interested, I won't go into that, but that's check that check that out um, if you're interested at all. The ups and downs of Lower Broad and, and Nashville that scene. Well, tell me about your gig tonight. What what are you guys doing? So tonight we are doing this CMT Great Honor Show, and I'm not sure where or when it airs, but yeah, uh, the filming is tomorrow. So today we just have the rehearsal, and it's at the. I really hope I don't botch this. The Skirmerhorn, yeah, mm-hmm. the Nashville mm-hmm. Symphony Center. Skirmerhorn, Skirmerhorn, and whatever, the yeah. uh, song. Have you played there? Have you been there yet? I'm not. This is my first oh. time playing there. And being there. So this is, I would say, the last monumental venue in Nashville that I can check off my bucket list. I just got to do Ascend for the CMA Jam over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited. And we're doing this with the Nashville Symphony, the song we're doing tonight. Yes. Which I'm not allowed to say. But I'm very excited. That's cool. So tonight is kind of rehearsal, blocking, different kinds of things like that. That whole thing. you're when you do things like this you're rehearsing the band rehearsing the music but you're also production is rehearsing yeah the camera the camera crew they get yeah. they have to get their shots yeah right, right um and all that stuff and okay so it'll be fun good time quick yeah. you know there for hour and a half and then tomorrow's the actual day yeah yeah my son's a, my son sings he's at the school of the arts and he's done performances at the Shermerhorn multiple times uh, with the symphony and the local choir and it's pretty uh, freaking amazing <laughs> didn't they once do um, a Zeppelin thing there I think it was the music of Zeppelin the music of Zeppelin with the symphony yeah and they're they're doing things like that it's an opportunity to kind of reach a broader audience for people that are you know not into classical or into the, not non I think it's smart I think it's cool totally Totally, totally. You've done, uh, you know, TV shows, Saturday Night Live. I saw that. Man, that was I'm fun. A, I'm a Bucket fan list. Of, yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of Luke. and uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell him you say so. <laughs> um, playing in bands that cover his stuff. And I, I, I'm fortunate enough to work with some really great singers. And they like playing his stuff. It's and, fun. 
It is fun. And everybody loves it. Yeah, and it's just, it's a nice transition from a very kind of poppy, watered-down thing. I'm not a huge, like, country aficionado, but it's my gig, man. It's it's my world, and where I make most of my living is in the country world. So, uh, again, I have no specific dog in the fight with that, but when I get to play real music with a great singer backing it up and you know great session players that have come up with these parts i'm like i'll play that yeah uh thank you to if i'm allowed to name of course the drummer jerry Rowe. yeah um for playing such excellent parts and someone i haven't met yet greg morrow who's played on a few things yeah 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 um but yeah that's what i love a you know as as much as i want to and I know it takes time getting to the session scene. Mm-hmm. I think one of the coolest parts about learning songs that these incredible musicians have played on is you when you chart the song out, you're like, wow, I would have never thought of that. Or you learn something new and then you bring it into your own vocabulary and make it your, your own. Vocabulary. Of course, of course. And I texted Jerry a yeah. few days ago when I was charting the song out and I, I asked him I said hey man did you play on the song he goes man I don't remember titles I'm like well I'm pretty sure it's you and <laughs> if you played this fill on the bar right before the second chorus it is awesome so thank you yeah 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 and right. he's such a great guy yeah yeah so. he's a good dude Greg is as well Greg's been a hero of mine haven't met him would love to yeah he's super sweet as a matter of fact my friend Tim Galloway who uh, plays sessions all the time uh, we've known each other for years, and my son had a day off. He's also a guitar player. Okay. And I said, uh, Tim, do you are you do you happen to have a session going on this Friday? He goes, Yeah, I do. Is there any way? Because I've sent him videos of my son learning that we might be able to just be flies on the wall. And like he's seen me, he's gone to some of my sessions. He's seen, me. but I'm like, I want him to go to one of your sessions. That's going to be a level up, and who knows who's going to be there. And uh, he checked with the, the engineer and the other musicians. He's like, yeah, come on. Here's what we're, here's, it's a 10 to 2. Come on out. Greg Morrow was on the session. My son was wearing my Working Drummer podcast shirt. We walked in. <laughs> Greg's like, ah, did your old man make you wear that shirt for advertising? Because I had Greg on. He was like maybe the 10th or 11th guy I've had on this back in 2015. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, It was he was great. But I've known him forever and learned his parts and... Whether it's now it's and I've known Jerry for years when he, you know when he was real young and to see him and now I'm learning Jerry's parts for songs. Isn't it wild? It is. It is wild. It's, it's inspirational. Very much so. Um, and you know, so whether it's Jerry or or Greg or or Eddie or some of these players, I do believe that when you're learning songs, whether you're if you're charting them out and you're learning them note for note when there's an opportunity to do so or a desire to do so. To me, that's no different because I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with me when I've been given a song to, to, to play drums to, to create. And I'm like, ooh, there's a Matt Chamberlain fill that I really like that's going to work great in this chorus. Or there's a Greg Morrow thing. Or, you know, gosh. There's a near thing and you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for playing this part that I can now use in my vocabulary and make it a little different. So so, so a good friend of mine and um, one of the busiest session players in Nashville, Nick Buda. Oh, what a great guy. Yeah, posted a video of a Carlos Vega fill 
that he was able to put into a song, you know? And so there's an example right there alone. Is it on the socials? It was on the socials. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, but for him, that's rare. He's he doesn't post a lot, it, it, or if he does, it's mostly with his beautiful family. So he's just he's got this great balance with that. But when he does post something drummy, I'm like, okay, come on, Nick, we need more. <laughs> Let's yeah, I, I wish he posted more. So yeah, if you do listen to this, please post some more drumming things. <laughs> but it, it it does come out, and and I don't see that any different than. When I was in school and we had to transcribe. Oh, same. Horn players were transcribing, you know, especially like jazz performance. Okay, here's this Coltrane solo. I'm it's you know, this is your homework to transcribe this solo. Or a monk solo. And and and, he, and we're talking about improvisational music that, you know, it's like, well, you're transcribing how how is that any different than me transcribing this Eddie Bear's part for this song? So I really know it. I can kind of dig inside and see where he was coming from so that maybe that will come through in my performance when I'm trying to construct a part, improvise maybe on the session or on the gig. Hopefully that will come through me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and hopefully we're not getting too off topic, but yeah. I think charting is so important. And drums. I'm, we're on drums. It's cool. <laughs> but charting for drums yeah 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 i think charting for drums <laughs> is so important because you ultimately to learn a song you should want to know to chart the part out to know exactly what they're playing if you desire to play it or if you need to play it like that if you need mm-hmm. to play it that way for the gig yeah and even if you don't i think it's still important because at some point in your career, whether it's an artist or a band, they're going to want you to hopefully learn the songs note for note. And if you don't know to chart, you are screwed because yeah. the more you chart, the better you get at it. Yeah. You learn your own way of doing it. Yeah, 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 it's true. Which Everybody is important too. Yeah. And I think it's good to be able to do instead of listening by ear. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and there's going to be a lot of people that are kind of push back uh, against this. So I'm, I'm not saying that, like, this is the way to do it, but this is another skill. Now, can I learn a song without a chart? Yes. Can I play without a chart? Yes. But um, I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like you and I are thinking the same way, and yet you're working primarily with Luke, and I don't have a gig like Luke, but I have maybe five different bands that I'm working with. So... And sometimes they're playing the same song. <laughs> yeah. So I have to think differently. Oh, this person does it this way or this tempo. And I just can't wrap my head. We're not doing, you know, with some people, they're doing the same 15 songs, you know, and they have to be super on fire. But sometimes, you know, I'm working with people that their song list is two to 500 songs deep. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to chart some of those. So I did a gig maybe a month or two ago with a few buddies of mine. Um, it was like a one-off. It was a fun, I think it was like a Wednesday, Saturday night. And it was a ton of songs. And the guy sent me his set list the night before. And I was like, I looked through and I was like, man, I don't have time to like chart these out, but I can get through majority of them. I've heard pretty much all of them. Yeah. And uh, thankfully I got through the gig 
And, uh, you know, I played it like I heard on the radio and I, I played it like it was. But, like, to kind of backtrack when it comes to charting, before I moved to town, the summer before I moved here, I would go on Billboard's Top Country 30 or Top – yeah, Billboard's Top 30 Country Radio Songs every day and chart out maybe 10 to 12 songs a day, go wow. on the next day do the same thing unless they haven't added anything new. And that's how I'd work up my charting game. And then when I moved here and I was doing the Broadway thing, I had to learn a bunch of old songs. So mm-hmm. when I wasn't gigging and you'd be waiting for a gig at six at night, I'd be charting songs. Yeah. I must have charted. I remember thinking one time I charted like 20 songs in one day. Yeah. But it's a great skill to have. And I knew, okay, this is beneficial. And by the time you're done charting, you kind of know the song. Yes. And, and I think that's the beauty of charting a song is you're learning it firsthand mm-hmm. while writing out your part and you're seeing it. And for me, I'd rather be able to learn my part by seeing it and reading it yeah. than just listening to the song. Because when you're looking at your chart, you could scan ahead and you know what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. While sure. practicing it. Right. Did you ever do any big band work? Um, in college, I did some. Yeah, I mean that—that's a big. And you need to really be able to read ahead on that, like a few bars ahead. It, it, it's a—it's a combination of being able to read, having good reading skills, but also be able to keep your head out of the charts. You have, yes. I mean, if you could move your eyes independently, mm-hmm. if humans were able to do that, I think we—I think I know a few that can. Uh, but you know, to be able to look at the chart. And the the band leader or whoever or who's soloing, you know, because it's an interactive. It's it's this great thing that straddles the line between combo work and like classical music and everything, where you just don't sit there with your head in the chart and just read it down, man. You get your head out of the chart. You see where there's 16 bars are blowing, and you like heads up. Who's you know how do I improvise in this section? How am I ready for the shout chorus? And like catching these figures, and that to me has helped. That limited experience that I had young, when I was younger and, and, and just after school, after I graduated, I worked, did more big band work. Now I'm doing pop music, but I'm reading chart. I have my chart on it. Now it's scanned. It's, in a, it's on an iPad. Uh, but I can be interactive on stage and not. You don't have to. I don't look have down. to. You yeah, can glance quickly. And I can go, glance okay, quickly. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Same course. Same place. Yeah. Well, let me ask you one more thing about Luke, because um, yeah, I want to ask you about school. Um, so you guys aren't running tracks, but um, I have done this song very much. But I did chart it out once. Hurricane. Yes. So that sounds like it's got some loop stuff going on with it. I'm trying to remember. I didn't think about this before. I would have listened to it before you came over again. But um, I haven't heard it for a while. But In the it, beginning, the drum loop? Yeah. So what are you doing there? So live, I kind of do it between the toms. Uh, in the very beginning, before the verse. So like, I'll just do like... Oh, uh, so you're kind of creating a loop. I'm creating a loop between the toms and the kick. Just backbeat on the tom? Yeah, just on my rack tom. Nice. So I with the I switched between my two floor toms. So you got you got you got twelve, fourteen, 14 16. sixteen. Uh huh. Twenty four inch, twenty four inch kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple um, snares. Two snares. Fourteen by six and a half, recording custom brass, and then a fourteen by seven stainless steel recording custom. Yeah, 
Is one like tuned down doing the one has a big fat snare drum on it. Yeah, yeah the yeah, side snare. Sure. And then we use a snare weight on the main snare. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So an understanding your setup there, you kind of created something. I created the loop that's on the record via the toms. Yeah. And then uh it. while he's doing a whole talking thing. Mm-hmm. And then once he says the song title, I do a build up on the floor toms and then we're really then into the verse. Great, great. So okay, cool, cool. Now that that stuff fascinates me. How uh, because everyone's approach to that is, is is so different and unique depending on the camp, depending on the drummer, depending on what's going on. So how have you played alive? Uh, man, I think I've played that song maybe once or twice, but it was just one of the songs that, that I was remembered there was that. But, but I can tell you that songs that have loop, I'll sometimes write the pattern and I'll write loopy. Mm-hmm. And so depending on who I'm playing with or what I'm feeling that day, sometimes it's the, I'll play, instead of the hi-hat, I'll play the rim of the tom and I'll throw a big fat snare drum on the snare or sometimes a towel if I have a sweat towel. Say I'm on a bar gig real quick and like I'll just throw the towel on the snare drum and just thwack it and be like And then the thing I like about the towel is when it kicks into the chorus, I can grab that towel and throw it. Yeah. And then I've got the snare drum. Cuz again, this is if I'm doing a tour, if I'm doing a set list, I'll have an extra snare drum. So I, I play with Michelle Wright, a Canadian artist, and she's got some songs that have loops. I'll have two snare drums and one tricked out with a big fat snare drum, and then maybe a shaker in one hand. So I'm recreating the loops live, you know. Um, and then there's a few people I've worked with that are using tracks. I, I'm not anti-track, but again, it doesn't matter because I'm not the artist, you know. Yeah, so if, exactly. If I want to start my own band. Then you can. So <laughs> like he, 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 he has a song that we haven't played in a decent amount of time. I like the song. It's called New Every Day. And there is this really cool loop in the beginning. And I'm not sure exactly the full instrument percussion instruments in it, but I feel like there's like tabla sounds in it. And the way I created it was I just did like a, I used my kick drum and a side snare with a big fat snare drum on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just kind of went between the two. Yeah. And I... It worked. Yeah. Well, and our buddy Greg Lohman has a side kick drum that he used with Kelly Pickler forever. He does, And yeah. now he's using it with... Easton. Yeah. Easton Corbin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's cool, because uh, I thought that would be cool. I don't play double kick, but it's like I Me have either. one. I could take it out and just throw that double kick the other way and put a little... Because I've done gigs where I use a, like a lift kit on a 16-inch floor tom and use that as a That's bass neat. drum, you know? And so if I'm doing an acoustic gig, I'll, you know, people are like, oh, bring a cajon. I'm not a cajon player. I have one. I just I, donated mine. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I'm like, I have something better than a cajon, and it's just as small. They're like, we just need it to be quiet and acoustic. I got you. And then it's the 16-inch floor tom as a kick drum and then maybe a small snare with a, you know, whatever, and shakers and brushes. Not to overly promote, but have you heard of the Toka kickbox? I have not. So Cody, who I mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah, yeah. he put me in touch with his rep from Toka. Yeah. And last year we did a full band acoustic live stream and I really needed something of a suitcase kick drum and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Reached out to the rep 
did all that thing, did all that jazz, and I told him what I needed. He said, oh, man, we just came out with this suitcase kickbox. And it's a suitcase with a, I don't know, the the size of um, the head on the front, but it's a kick drum, and then it comes with a 10-inch snare and a 10-inch tom. Nice. And you could fit the 10-inch tom, the 10-inch snare, and the kick pedal all inside of the box. That's great. So you just carry it with you. There all you I go. did was bring that, a ride cymbal, and a hi-hats and i was good to go that's awesome that's awesome does it fit in an overhead <laughs> i haven't tried it i've literally only used it one time and that was it and now i have it yeah in my studio and it's on craigslist right now <laughs> definitely not <laughs> but i got a lot of people asking me oh you know that is so cool like who yeah. makes that all this yeah. stuff i could really use that so i really like it and i hope at some point down the line I can use it whether with Luke if we do an acoustic thing. It's or ready to go. It's for ready sure. to go. Some dudes are great at the cone. My my friend Chuck Palmer, again, recent guest. He I've it hurts your back and your hands. Hmm. It hurts your back and your hands. Yeah, yeah. For me, for sure. Me too. Uh, but he's uh, and some people just they they're just they're, their experience with with hand percussion and multi percussion and all that stuff is just it just seems like a, a stronger fit. Uh, for some players over over like I have some I mean you're sitting right next to my congas there uh, but that's I got that's, a set of those too that's just for fake um, you know stu- studio overdubs <laughs> I'm not taking gigs as a conga player me either <laughs> so please don't reach out yeah. for that <laughs> well, well there's there's two things I want to cover tell me about uh, University of the Arts in Philadelphia so University of the Arts in Philadelphia for me was a fantastic school mm-hmm. um the music program, gosh, there was how many kids? I don't know, maybe a, a hundred, maybe a little more. And all the teachers were just so hands-on. Mm-hmm. The drumming faculty was great. Um, my main teacher, his name is Mark Gianni. Mm-hmm. He is a fabulous, fabulous player, fabulous person. And um, he just took me under his wing. You know, I whenever I needed whenever I wanted an extra lesson he would give it to me or if I was like hey I want to work on this today we mm-hmm. would do that like brush work mm-hmm. or um, if I had something else in mind we'd do it but the, what I loved is that he was hard on me in the best way he'd push me even though I was already pushing myself yeah 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 he was doing it out of love and like hey you got this like you can do this like come on like Mm -hmm. and I knew I could yeah and um I remember at school they did a faculty student recital and there was probably 30 songs to learn and one of the teachers had came to him and asked him who should we have on drums for the student and immediately he said you need jake this was everything from latin to rock to jazz to broadway stuff like Mm. new york broadway stuff to pop to everything through the gamut and he was like he will nail it i had friday i had three days to learn 30 songs Mm. and the concert was monday and well i crushed it (laughs) (laughs) but he was a fabulous teacher who i'm still very close with I also got to study with um, Jerry Brown, mm. if you know who that is. I don't. Um, Stevie Wonder is a longtime drummer okay, okay. who has been with Diana Ross for a long time now as wow, well. Good wow. buddy of mine. 
and uh, Jimmy Paxson, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to study with him for a bit. Um, and fabulous guy, Marcus Baylor. Okay. He was with the Yellow Jackets for a bit. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and other great teachers as well. I mean, I had faculty members, or not my teachers, who were not even drum set players who I just got um, great joy out of learning from. Yeah. And one yeah. of them was my was my musicianship teacher he was actually the one who said 30 minutes is early on time is late and that was one of the biggest things that stuck with me yeah 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 Yeah. and i've gone back i did a clinic there in 2019 Mm -hmm. and it was just great to see everybody Mm -hmm. even faculty members who i didn't study with and all that stuff and they were all so proud of me for everything i've done so far Mm and um so yeah it was great to be back and it was great to see the changes in the school and to see everybody it sounds like it just it, that made such a huge impression on you, and I, I'm under the impression that in the future your interest in being an educator and a mentor is important. Oh, very much so. Even if it's not teaching at a college level, just I mean, I want to teach privately mostly, mm-hmm. and I have a few students, and that is important to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to help people with whether they do it as a hobby or if they want to do it as a living. Yeah. Help them get to the path they want to go on with drumming. Yeah. I mean, I've done a few clinics and I've been to a ton where people just either play and then they pass out, you know, a sheet of what they played. And it's like, no, I want, you know, I go a different route where it's, yeah, I play a few songs, but I talk about the importance that most people don't know. Playing to a click which is a given. Right. Um, you know, networking, how to get a gig, keep a gig, the gear you need, the right gear you need, I should say. And I think something that people don't really think about, how to stay healthy when you're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you're in a van, a bus, right. if we could just in take between. A, take just a, a, just a partial detour. What are, what are you doing consciously to stay healthy on the road? So now we are... At the point where, thankfully, we have a catering company come with us, um, nice. which is wonderful. But um, I try to watch what I eat. Desserts are the thing that kills me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, me both. but I, I run every, I run pretty much every day. Nice. Uh, I run a mile every day, and I walk around. I don't like to sit on a bus. Yeah, me When either. I'm at the venue, I walk around. I say hi to everybody. Um, I just try to be active. If if we go if we get to go play golf, I go do that. If we go play basketball somewhere or football. I, I try to be doing something active yeah. throughout the day. And it's amazing how much energy you have on the gig when you're active. Yes. We all oh, have yeah. experienced oh, like yeah. those brutal days of travel where you're on a plane for, you know, or in airports sitting around for hours on end. And then you're exhausted. Like, how am I so tired? I didn't do anything. We had to fly once from... Well, I don't remember exactly where, but we had to fly from, we got done with the gig and we flew, oh gosh, I don't remember the state we were in, but we had to fly from wherever we were to, uh, to play stagecoach. Okay. Yeah. And that was a long, like long flight. You get there, go straight to the gig, everything's backlined and that as much fun as I was capable of having was also a nightmare gig for me because I believe they had all the backline for me from 
Coachella. Hmm. And I had everything you can imagine falling on me. One of my cymbals fell. My hi-hat clutch came undone. I had no time to fix it. It all happens at once. (laughs) Yeah, it all happened at once. And I was like, this is just, is this really happening right now? It's a nightmare. But we got through it and we had fun. And how you handle that shit is really important to your bosses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, calling my tech as much as I needed to. And I typically never, ever try to, you know, use him if I, or ask him for help during the gig if I don't need Mm -hmm. to. But this was the one scenario where I was like, hey, man, this is falling or this is, you know, this is also falling. Well, but I mean, I really need your help. Guys like Luke or anybody, they they don't need to know, like, oh, man, my clutch. No, no, not at all. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. So tell me about uh, working with Dom. Mm. So I studied with Dom since I was 15. Mm. And um, that was very beneficial living two towns over two towns over from him at the time. And we went through everything from like stick control to, um, to gosh, uh, syncopation to uh, Jim Chapin's book yeah. to uh, – Gary Chester's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- I think the cool thing about studying with him is in his studio, he's got a whole pad set up. He's got a kit set up. He's got two kits set up. He's got TVs everywhere so he can see, you know, if you're over here and he's over here. Uh, see, or, you know, if you're doing footwork, he can watch on the TV. Wow. Of what you're doing. Yeah. And critiquing and all that stuff. And it, it was really beneficial to be able to um, study with him and really get down the certain things that he wanted to instill in myself as a player. And then whenever he was gone, I studied with one of his protégés, John Favicchia, who's also a fabulous, fabulous player, a New York guy. And, um, he also took me under his wing. So I got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, with Dom, I did everything from jazz to Latin to everything prepping for college, essentially. Okay. So, so is there anything from, from Dom or John that you're using to this day? You're like, um, you know what I mean? Like, like, man, it's like, I'm glad I, glad we worked that out. So, (laughs) Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I guess, I mean, you can kind of say like everything. I mean, technique. Yeah. You work on that. Yeah. You work on um, independence. Yeah. Dynamics. Right. Um, all the things that I guess are kind of common, but you still learn from your teachers the right way. Sure. And it sounds like because you were at a relatively young age, kind of in the beginning of the process, you're like, well, it's kind of hard to point out one thing because... There's so many. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. you could, there's what the, the French grip, American, German. Yeah. And it's important to learn all of those and how to hold the drumstick correctly and all that stuff. And I mean, I took lessons before both of them when I was six years old wow. with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, um, but with both of them, it was more like, it was still learning many things that, you know, good things to learn that I didn't know, but it was also like refining things as well. And I watched an interesting 
video with Todd Zuckerman on his uh, social media page a few months ago. And I really liked what he said was he said technique is important. And when you're playing, don't think of a certain technique that you want to use. Just let the, let it come out. That's why you know all these different techniques. Don't think of, oh, I'm going to use the German grip here or the French grip here. Yeah. Utilize it in how you need to, and it'll happen. Yeah, Steve Smith gets into that. Uh, when he came out with one of his more recent books, we had him on, and we were talking about the different grips and how on the drum set you're using every grip. Yeah, and that's why it's. I don't think when you're playing you should think, oh, right now I'm going to use the American grip. Right, it's like right. you're going to be – However you play, you're going to be comfortable, and you shouldn't be thinking, this is the grip I'm using. Yeah. You're playing. You're having fun. You're in the moment. So rehearsal tonight, recording tomorrow. Fly tomorrow night. Fly tomorrow night. Yes. Wait, after the performance? Yes. Okay. So. um, Southwest? uh, (laughs) So (laughs) thankfully, I heard all about that. So not sure if I'm supposed to mention this. Maybe I can. But uh, CMT was gracious enough to get us, uh, for whoever is doing the performance of band and crew, uh, two private planes. Yeah, yeah. So we are, whoever is doing the thing, we're flying private jets to Arizona. Um, And then Thursday and Friday, I believe, we have two shows in Albuquerque. Okay. Or maybe one show in Albuquerque and one show somewhere else. And then uh, we go back to Arizona on Saturday to play the Country Thunder Festival. Mm. And then we're out for seven more days, and then we're home. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. So this is, I think, the longest stretch, the second longest stretch that will be out for the rest of the year. Okay. okay. And then it's just week, I believe it's just weekend warrior stuff. Nice. And that's that's typical Nashville. I oh, think. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I got one more question for you. Yeah, shoot. If Luke Combs ended tomorrow, for whatever reason, what would you do? Um, I would try to get another gig, hopefully at the same level or even if it's a step below. You know, I'd mm-hmm. still want to tour and, um, and you know, if it takes some time, then in that case, try to build up the studio stuff, try to do more sessions while – that yeah, gig may be taking some time. Yeah, well, all the time, it's like do more, yeah. try to do more session stuff, get on the air gigs thing, which I need to do anyway. Mm-hmm. But really try to utilize that outlet and get my name out there with the session stuff and teaching and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see yourself being, getting into the clinic world down, maybe years down the road? So. And being a mentor and more teaching? Actually, I was trying to, so if there was no COVID, um, I was my goal was with Sabian to um, they were going to help me book clinics. I was going to do clinics. Let's see, every, like two Fridays a month, mm-hmm. we're on the road. Cool. So I was going to do wherever, whatever city we were in. I was going to do two clinics a month at a drum store. So I want to get that going asap. So whenever I'm allowed to just because i have to go off site for it and all the is logistics involved logistics involved yeah, your you first know, commitment when, is to the luke, to luke. yeah, yeah. and sure. so when i'm able to 
when they say, hey, you're good to go do clinics, I'm going to reach out to my Sabian guys. Um, I'm hopeful that they will help me book the clinics and my Yamaha people as well. And uh, I'd like to start doing that sooner than later. So hopefully next year I'll be doing clinics a few times a month. Yeah. Because it's another form of teaching just to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about earlier, it's not just I'm there. I'm not there to talk about the gig. I'm there to talk about how you can get a gig or it doesn't matter if it's at the level of playing for a Luke or playing for, you know, uh, you know, a theater gig or uh, anything like that. It's even if it's a bar gig, how do you get that gig? Oh yeah. You know, so it kind of covers all the spectrum of just in general, how to get a gig, Mm -hmm. the right things to do and all that. And then other topics that I'd, be talking about as well that deals with our instrument hey man if you don't take the bar gig seriously the person that could change your life is not going to see that in you and offer you an audition for the a the, higher gig the gig yeah the perfect scenario yeah i hear you man. so my goal yeah is to do clinics sooner yeah. than later well so hopefully that, next year that's awesome man I love it, dude. You've covered a lot, a lot of ground uh, here. I, I so appreciate this. And of course. I, I think, if anything, um, just such a big takeaway is just doing what you do, uh, just taking it seriously, just having keeping your head on straight with the future, with what got you here, what worked, you know, just all those things, just maintaining that, not not changing course after you get the gig. But just kind of just staying the same person who you are, the committed, the student, the consummate student, you know, and all that stuff. And it's just, man, it's been great. Thank so, you. Yeah, and thanks for having coming, me on. man. I know. I, I know. You just had a buddy of mine, Dave Matthews, on. I just yeah. was FaceTiming with him a few weeks ago, and he was like, dude, guess what? I'm going to be on the Working Drummer podcast. And I was like, screw you. I'm literally supposed to be on it the week after you are. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, ha ha, well, I'm on yeah, it before you. And I'm like. Yeah, yeah. Dave. Appreciate you. Gonna say goodbye. Who's Thank Dave? You some, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jake. I was thinking Dave. I was like, oh, you're good. Don't. <laughs> I, don't do it. You know what? I did that to Dave. I called him Matt. Matthew. I did that. That's Jeez. funny. But, well, yeah. his last name is Matthew. I know. So I know. That's well. close. But see, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry. Jake. I appreciate it. That was you. very funny. It's okay. <laughs> I'll let it slide. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> So there you go. My conversation with Jake Summers was so cool to sit down and talk to him a little bit more at length. We've met a couple of times uh, this last year and, uh, and man, what a cool gig. Luke Combs uh, is, seems like a a great dude and um, he's kind of the newer generation of modern country that uh, is much needed. And uh, I, I I enjoy him. I'm I'm a fan for sure. Really happy for Jake, and I uh, hope that gig just kind of keeps going on and uh, new opportunities come from that for sure. Stay tuned next week. I will be back in your ear holes uh, with my interview with Canadian drummer Chad Melchert. He is a five-time winner of the Canadian Country Music Association Drummer of the Year. He was also inducted into the CCMA Hall of Honor. Uh, We had a great conversation, so check out my interview with Chad Melchert next week. But for now, everyone, stay safe, get vaxxed, and hope to see you around real soon. Bye-bye.